This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You've got to have the right case because if you take it up and it's the wrong case, then you can make some really bad law that's going to affect a lot of plaintiffs. There's always an answer. The joy is in finding. One of the reasons that I love being a lawyer is this exact process. The way we live our life has nothing to do with the presentation sequence at trial. As trial lawyers, we pick up and move on and keep going. You're losing or gaining one out of every 10 jurors, which can really make a huge difference in the ultimate result of the case. Whatever you think about, you create. Learn all you can and never stop. And then have the guts to try case after case after case. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have Cliff Atkinson. Uh, Cliff is the author of a book called Beyond Bullet Points, but more importantly, he has worked with some of the top trial lawyers in the country uh, on settlements and trials, including a, a verdict of over $4 billion. And Cliff was nice enough to come and talk to us to tell us on how we can better present our cases visually and better tell our stories. Thank you for coming on today, Cliff. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today. The more I've done research about you, it's funny because we have a lot of people that, that do work with lawyers that ask to be on the show. And my answer is almost always no. And because if someone is just trying to sell a service, this is my baby. And I, and I really, you know, I'm not going to allow it to be used just for someone to run an infomercial. But then Delisi, our marketing manager, talked to you and said, you need to have this guy on. And then I figured out who you were. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the guy that worked with Lanier on his big verdict. This guy that wrote, that wrote Beyond Bullet Points, which I bought over a decade ago. Oh, my, how do I not get this guy on? So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I've just had, it, you know, started first working with you guys in 2005. And it has just been such an awesome privilege to be able to work side by side with you all to, to find justice for your clients. It's just it's just been a, a blast, and especially what I, what I love the most is just this whole baby. This will be our theme today, but just the creative part of this, how it is that that you can you know integrate story, visual, visual storytelling, and a lot of the new technology and the tools we have today. So, so it's it's just been a, a, a exciting ride, and I'm really uh, you know it, it, it's a really pleasure to be with you today. So, how did you get into this part of the world, this uh, lawyer uh, storytelling and visuals? Well, uh, so the backstory was, so I, uh, back when PowerPoint first came out, I was, uh, the first time I used PowerPoint was in, in business school in the late nineties, the tool had just come out and it was, uh, I had to just create for a, a business school report, a PowerPoint based on this project I had done. And I just opened it up and I typed in the bullet points like everybody else did and just sent that in and it went just fine. But over time, I, I started to realize as I went back to use the tool, I, I wanted to create a video kind of like for this personal project. And I couldn't, I didn't know how to use video editing software. And I went back into PowerPoint and I figured out if you look at PowerPoint, if you look at all the slides together at one time and they're blank, it just, I just had this aha moment. This is like a storyboard. Like you could put anything on here. It doesn't have to be text. It doesn't have to look exactly the same on every slide. You know, you've probably seen some of these sort of PowerPoints, right? With they're just bombarded with text and all this information. 
Yeah, and then you're you're zoning out and falling asleep. <laughs> exactly. So that that was kind of the milieu. That was the big problem at that time. Is just that this tool was being used. You know, before you know uh, PowerPoint came about, people were creating these thirty-five millimeter slides or or these acetate, you know, overhead transparencies. But it was all filled with text. And um, so I realized that this tool could actually be a creative medium. And so I started to write these articles about how it is you can tell a story you can put images in here it could be all images it could be like a film <laughs> or a blockbuster and um, so i wrote these articles i didn't have any clients at the time but i just was passionate about telling the story that you could tell a story in a visual way using this tool um, and so i was just sitting at home one day and then i got a call uh, and, and the guy you know, picked up the phone the guy said hey this is david you might have heard of my company it's called general electric and we've been reading your articles. Will you come help us at the board of directors of General Electric to help us to tell visual stories at a board at the board level? So that was my first client. <laughs> wow, starting at the top. Yeah, I started at the top, uh, and they were they were doing pretty well back. This is probably two thousand three, I think it was. And so I, I talked about that at a conference, and somebody from Microsoft was there, and they were looking for an author to write a book about how to use. Um, PowerPoint in a different way, in a more creative way, because they were, all their books at the time were just about how you open up the tool, how you add the bullet points, etc. Et and so they invited me to write a book, and then that became uh, Beyond Bullet Points, and that came out in March of 2005. And then it was just out those couple months, and then um, Mark Lanier had his big Viox case coming up, and he says, you know, his story is that every time he has a big trial, he likes to take some skill set to the next level. He had already been using PowerPoint, but was looking for some new ideas and how to use it in a fresh way. And so uh, he apparently was, you know, on vacation before trial, just taking it easy and was reading these books. And then he, you know, picked up my book. And and it was the one book, he says, out of all these books that that was really about storytelling, about using this tool in an interesting way. So, um, so you know, his office called me and invited me to work with him in uh, in Texas in 2005 and then um, we created the opening and it was my very first time in a courtroom you know so I, i'm not a lawyer you know i've just come completely out you know fresh you know in, into the profession which it turns out has a lot of value to be able to come and look at things in a fresh perspective that is a big thing you know when i do, do work on cases if you've worked on the case for so long it can really be hard to kind of you know step out of the the, the minutiae and the detail um, and so um, worked with Mark, we created that opening and then he delivered it. And, and again, you know, I, I'd never even known that, you know, PowerPoint was being used in the courtroom and uh, he delivered the opening that first day. And uh, the next day, all the national press coverage was about the presentations and how dramatically better his presentation was than the, the defense, which gave a, you know, a traditional bullet point And it was all about how wonderful a company we are and so on. And so, um, you know, Fortune magazine called it frighteningly powerful, how the images and the story and his storytelling schools, his skills yeah. all came together. And he was, at, you know, in a, there was a big 10 foot screen behind him, too. So that, that's another big part that I've always advocated from the beginning. It's just you're, you're creating this. You have the potential to create an immersive media experience. So he was like inside of this giant 10 foot screen, like he's in, you know, in front of a theatrical backdrop or a giant television set. And the way that, you know, the, the images were crafted, they're very simple, easy to understand, and the jurors are immediately just immersed in the story. So that really was all part of how, how that all came together. And that was my very first 
opening statement. And since then, you know, he's uh, obviously told a lot of folks about, you know, uh, yeah. about this, how it happened, and folks read the articles. So since then, I've been been working, you know, pretty much most of my work these days is with with uh, plaintiff's attorneys on, on these type of opening statements. And what was the what was the result of that case that Mark was trying? So he won a $253 million verdict. And, and then it was interesting. So they, they, you know, staff had told me that they interviewed the jurors six months later and they still remembered the opening statement. So that, you know, really became a sticky visual, you know, uh, uh, experience for them where it was just so memorable. And that's a big part of what, what I'm introducing or advocating is the, the, you know, ways that you can use imagery in a way that really is going to make information easy to understand and that'll have long-term sticking power. You know, you just don't follow the rules. I mean, your first corporate client is the board of General <laughs> Electric, and then your That's first right. lawyer client is Mark Lanier on a 200-something million dollar verdict. I mean... Uh, that's awesome. I mean, just forget starting at the bottom and working up. Uh, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was all, all accidental, but I'd say like, you know, it's a story also about just following your passion. You know, I was just doing something that I, I, I really saw this potential for this tool. I, I, I just love the creativity and, and also this, it's a synthesis, you know, there, there's a part, you know, I've been reading more lately on the latest research about, you know, the hemispheres of the brain and so on. And, 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 and the, idea that you know left brain is more about the detail and dissecting things into pieces where the right hemisphere is more about the metaphor and about the big picture and to me that's one of the most pleasing or, or interesting or engaging parts of the experience is just the synthesis of this you know mark and so many of these other uh, uh, plaintiffs attorneys such as yourself are just brilliant thinkers and now taking that brilliance of the left brain analytical thought and then and bringing in this creative dimension is just so much fun and so interesting to me. So what are some of the things that you found effective as far as, you know, visually telling our stories at trial? Well, so I would start with with the story before the visuals, because even in that first case, you know, the opening uh, of Mark's very first slides, he we had just a picture of, you know, a couple up on the screen. Um, and it was a family photo of Bob and Carol. And, and Mark just started out with this story. So there was no text. There was no, you know, abstract analytical thinking. <laughs> you know, it was just a story and a personal story that the, visually the jurors could relate to. So then he told, introduced the jurors to, to Carol, who was here in the courtroom and, and told the story about how uh, she was single, uh, late in life and her, her daughter introduced her to Bob on a blind date. And then they hit it off and pretty soon they fell in love and got married. And then they were married happily for 11 months until something happened that changed everything forever. And then the image changes so that the, the background is stripped out and now there's just a chalk outline. So it's, it's rhetorically, you know, even verbally, as I tell the story, it's, it's a, a powerful rhetorical shift away from a product liability case into a different kind of case that involves chalk outlines, more of a murder mystery. Yeah. And then the next slide, I think that really kind of brought it home is then I just put a, the, the CSI logo and then Mark said, you get to be like CSI detectives. You get to sort through all the evidence and figure out what killed Bob. You know, so so I think that that the thing that makes all of this work and what drives it has got to be the, the story underlying the verbal story, the sequence of ideas. And then when that's in place, then the visuals are just you know, just writing on top of that and can magnify and become exponentially more powerful. You know, so it's not even just about, 
uh, having an image or any image. It's if you've got the, the powerful story and then you can put that CSI logo on top of it, then that's going to just give it, you know, X times more power than it would just a random image, you know. So it's about the meaningful synergy of the, the verbal part and the visual part and how those two, if they're in sync, can really leverage the power of the entire story. One of the biggest challenges for me is I do the work and I get all these facts. Yeah. I mean, what happened, you know, who, where, what, when, maybe, maybe even why. But taking all those facts and distilling them into a winning story, and, and when I say story, it's got to be true. It's not like we're making up That's stories. Right. But, you know, how do, we, how do we tell the story in such a way that we bring out the truth? You know, what is some advice you have for sorting through the facts and what is the story and what isn't and avoiding all the tangents and yeah. getting something that connects? Well, I, I love yeah, how you describe that, too, because I also work with folks, you know, in other professions. And I tell them that you guys have some of the, you have one of the hardest uh, jobs out of all of these because you've only got this finite set of facts. And, and you know, you're, you're constrained by what you can say, what's included. You can't you're not you know, you're not a Hollywood screenwriter. You can just make, <laughs> make things up out of nowhere. Yeah. Everything has got to be very specific and factual. So. So one of the things that I, I do is I've got this tool. I, go, I, I tend to work with clients in a, in a one-day session. And the first half of the day is really finding the structure, talk, you know, getting the verbal part of the ideas in place. And I, I have this tool I call the story template. I describe it in my book. But the, the way that it works is that you start out with just three. If you're going to break up your opening in just to three parts, what are those three parts? Or another way to put it, if the jurors could only remember three things when you're finished, what are those three things you want them to remember? So, so very often it might be, you know, the company knew about the danger and they did nothing, part one. And then part two might be the company injured or killed, you know, the, you know, in part two. And then part three is the company tries to avoid responsibility. And that might be if there's a cover up and then damages and then, the yeah, buts, you know, so you're rebutting. The very last thing is saying what they're going to say, but saying it first. So that might be a classic structure, but it's built on threes. And so that that's really the, it, it can be a very painful exercise in many of these, these cases, uh, spending that half day because we're, I, I'm really introducing constraint. And yeah. the idea that we've got to break it up into three. And then once we've got the first third, then we break that up into three. So it's, I think the constraint is uh, the most powerful technique to help to distill. And it is hard. I mean, we were, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I have mixed feelings still. Uh, it's settled late at night on the Saturday night before the trials and start on Monday. But, you know, my partner, Sonia, and I had worked up a case and, you know, we had legitimately found like 20 something things this company did wrong. And any one of which, you know, could have made a good case. But we had, we couldn't try a case about 20 something things they did wrong. And, if we said they did 25 things wrong and the jury only believed that they did 23 of them wrong, they might have held it against us, you know? Uh, and so what was, you know, how do I turn this into a 20 minute story? And, and what is the most powerful part of the story? And I will tell you, it was more work to cut out and distill down than it was to do all the work to gather the, the stuff to begin with. That's super hard. And, and it's so important that you did that because that, that increases the power 
you know, there's that, what is that old saying that, you know, I would have written you a short note, but I didn't have enough time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just that idea that you're, you know, it does take a lot of hard work. And, 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 and to me, it's about the difference between, you know, often people might say, well, you need to dumb it down for the jury. But I, I say, no, you have to distill it down to its essence. You know, you've got to get, you know, it's still factually true in its essence and how it is that you find that. And it's so, so important because, you know, from what we know about, you know, the, the research about cognition and people's short-term memory that, you know, you might have 25 amazing hot documents, you know, you want to show. And then that's a big mistake some folks make is they just start laying out the 25. Yeah. But yeah. after number three, you've lost them. You know, they're, they're kind of, they don't have a framework. They don't have a way to, to hold on to the overall narrative. And that's, that to me is the most important part as I've worked on all these cases is that you, you've got to front load a simple structure for jurors to their, their minds to be able to hold on to. And it's not, and again, it's not, you know, some folks might say, well, you know, it's just for high school educated jurors and again, you have to dumb it down, but no, it's not dumbing down. You've got to, for all of us, we need a, a structure or framework, you know, here are the three ways that we're going to pursue this, or these are the three elements. Like when you say that, that helps the mind to relax and it holds a framework for the, the the complexity that's going to come, you know. So it's really about this upfront hard work of distilling and finding that structure that will make it easier for jurors to understand this and to be able to process and be with you the whole time. And I really, uh, the more I've thought about this, the more I've done this, I've realized it's not dumbing down. It's actually respecting and trusting the jurors enough that if you give them the core truth, they can get it. And you don't need to beat them up with 25 hot documents. You can show them the big stuff and they'll get it. And then you know, the rest will Absolutely. come out during the trial. Absolutely. And I, and I think of that visually on a slide where sometimes, you know, if you've got the 25, you know, you might say, you know, then they did X bad thing, X bad thing, X bad three of those. And then boom, 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 boom. Then you click and then 25 show up. Right. You don't have to show the you know twenty number four through twenty five. They get the they get the picture that right. they did a bunch of bad things. You know, so you don't have to meticulously go through every single thing. And again, I think that may go back to that that you know again that left hemisphere is wanting every detail in there, but the right hemisphere is wanting the big picture and the metaphor. Yeah. You know, so maybe it's about that. Maybe you know as we might want to get all that detail, that's more that you know, where it might have a preference for that. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that. The jurors have the anchoring. They've got the big picture that they're with you from beginning to middle to end. Yeah, and I, I just think until we have the big picture, the anchoring, we don't know what to do with all that information. It just that's why it becomes overwhelming. Right. I mean, it's so quick. It's so people just check out so fast. You yeah. Know? So you, it really is true. What they say is that you know you've only got the the first a very narrow window of opportunity to be able to grab people's attention. And that to me, you know, I might might be controversial to say this, but some of the these. Uh, guidelines for starting openings, you know, will often start with a very abstract statement or some sort of, you know, something I, I don't quite understand. You know, I, I will hear some of these sometimes like a rule, but it's just so abstract, like I don't get it, you know. So I think it's so important that you start with a story, with something like, you know, we're describing with what Mark did, like this personal story, a family photo. I can relate to that. I can, I, I'm with you on that and I can go along with you in this story. But if it's, you know, something, you know, it's often the case where, you know, I might passionately advocate this and I understand it for me, but if the jurors don't get it, then it's not really going to go anywhere that you want it to go. It's funny because there's so many people say like, this is the only way you have to do it this way. Yes. 
and they've had incredible success. And then someone else will say the exact opposite and they've had incredible success. And so I think, I think it's, it's discovering the story and telling it in a compelling fashion that, that works. And I think that there are lots of different ways to get there. You know, there's not one magic formula because there's, you know, there's incredibly successful people. And I think a lot of it has to do with who you are. That's a good point that the personality and the, the credibility, the ethos, you know, is what is the primary. You know, people have a gut, like, you know, connection with you. That's probably yeah. the most primal and important thing. But I agree with the rule stuff. I mean, like, you know, I was getting ready to try a stop sign case. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go tell the juror when a driver approaches the stop sign, he must stop. I mean, they're going to think, do you think we're idiots? I mean, they all right. drive. They have their life. They know that you have to stop. Even when you're in elementary school, you know, you have to stop at a stop sign. So I wasn't going right. to start i don't i mean i love david ball i mean i've worked with him i've learned a lot from him but i'm not going to start that case with that role because it doesn't make sense now i was going to show while i'm telling the story there i was setting a scene and yeah. there's an intersection and there's a stop sign that's the rule i don't need to say what you have to do at a stop sign they you, i need a photo or an image or hold up a, a stop sign yes well and to me you know, i love all the rule stuff too i think yeah. and, and use it all the time i think for for me it's about making them pithy, making them easy to understand. So for example, yeah. you know, a doctor must always keep their patients safe. You know, for example, yeah. you know, that it's gotta be in juror language. And that's a big thing too. I think that that, you know, I'm advocating for in a lot of these cases is to 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 put it in jury language. You know, yeah. so I think we're we're also used to the technical terminology and the jargon of the law and so on. But for folks who that they just don't have any idea about that. Again, when we're talking about how easy it is for people to, to check out and you know and, and and lose focus, the more we can keep it in very concise and understandable language, uh, the jury language. You know, I think the the more powerful and accessible the information will be. Yeah, and I think what it is, we 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 so much don't want to sound like we don't know what we're talking about. So we yes. spend all this time learning all the technical stuff, and then we want to use it to show how smart we are. But the the most important people in the case are the jurors. The case is about them. It's not about us. And, you know, if we're not doing something to help them, then we're wasting our time. Yes. And, and I love what you said earlier. I mean, I just love this whole idea. Like, you're just really respecting them and their intelligence. And that's why you're doing all this hard work up front. Yeah. To make it easy to understand for them. And now, honestly, when you talk to them at the end, they are smart. They do get it. I, I don't oh, believe yeah, that absolutely. we have dumb jurors and we pull the wool over their eyes. I mean... I've had jurors, I've won a case because jurors noticed a little bitty detail in a photo that even I missed that proved yeah. we were right. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're incredibly smart and they're trying to do the right thing. And it's just our job to give them the tools and you need to do it. And I love it in these you know, focus groups, watching the jurors deliberate yeah. and find out like, what they what what stuck out in their mind, what didn't. You know, you know, I, yeah. I watched one recently, it was a focus group. And the first thing that the jurors said is like, I, I don't understand what what any of this is about, but I guess we're here, you know, to do what we're supposed to do. You know, I, I, yeah. when I heard that, it's just like, Oh my God, you know, it, I, I mean, in that particular focus group, it was just an overwhelming fire hose of information that they're yeah. trying to get in. And to me, the lesson learned is, is really, you've got to do that hard work of taking most of it out and just focusing on what your, your big weaknesses are, for example, and, and, and focus grouping that, you know, you just can't, Throw it all in there and and think that they're it's all going to stick with the jurors because they're yeah. just going to say no. I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about. And we forget that we're working on a case for you know one, two, sometimes three years to get all, to absorb all this. You yes. you can't expect someone to get three years of experience in twenty minutes. 
Absolutely. And there's a book um, called Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers, and they talk uh-huh. about the phrase they call this the curse of knowledge. Yeah. That when you've you know gone through this whole process, like you said, for three years, well, you you know you went through the whole process, but somebody new didn't have that three years. They're just completely fresh to it. So you, yeah, you, know, you, you have to approach you know the beginner's mind concept. You have to approach with the beginner's mind. Uh, and actually, it's one of the things that, like when I've jumped in to try a case at the last minute. For somebody else, it's actually easier because I'm approaching it like the jury is because I've not had all that buildup. Now, it's sometimes frustrating because they might not have done exactly what I would have done in working it up. But it, as far as the advocacy part, it's easier to come in fresh at the end. Absolutely. So that that, that can be a value of bringing in you know a consultant or outsider or even Absolutely. somebody who might be in your staff unfamiliar with the case. You know, bring them in and ask them what they think. But, you know, I, I just was thinking of some other thing, too, one other technique that I found really useful. Um, I was doing a, a trial guides presentation. I was with Pat Malone. It was a, actually a rule. I think it was a rules-focused conference. And we were, um, I was looking for a way to help, you know, with this distillation. We're talking about that rule of three is one way. But another way to help distill something to its essence, I, I, in that workshop, it, it's, it, it, it turned out to work out really well. I was I introduced the form of a haiku. So a haiku is a, a form of a poem with five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables. So it's just three lines, five, seven, five. And then during the during the workshop, I, I just said, you know, okay, I'm gonna give you two minutes to write a haiku of your case. Oh wow. And so we took the two minutes, and then in two minutes, people, you know, I asked if anybody wanted to share. Mike Kelly was there, if you know Mike, and he, I mean, he just like read his and it was like, oh my God, as you started to hear some of these short poems, they, it got right down to the heart of the emotion. It was very engaging. It was distilled down to its essence. So that could be a, that could be a handy thing to try is just, uh, you know, kind of write a, a five, seven, five poem and, and, and try to distill it down quickly. But I think the key there is just to do it, you know, just give yourself two minutes, five minutes, and try that, or with some colleagues on their cases, get together and do that. That could be a really powerful way to distill something. I want to try. That's awesome. I want to try that. It's about the constraint, you know, with with just this limited number of words. Yeah. What are the few words? And and in just by and large, every one of those poems, it, it got down to the emotion. You know, I'm uh, was hurt, broken, damaged. You know, those words were the most poignant and got right to the heart of the emotion of the case. Yeah. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. You mentioned threes. You mentioned the role of threes. What is it about threes? Well, I always link it back to our limitation of short-term memory. So the, the research around that says that we can hold three to four chunks of new information in working memory at any one time. So it used to be that phone numbers were, were really long, and, and then they broke them up. Now we've got the area code, with, which is three digits, 
the prefix three digits, and then we've got the last part, which is four digits. But it's actually just three, so it's nine digits, but it's broken up uh, into into three chunks. You know, so that helps us to remember having things in three chunks. But you know, if you look across, you know, our written history, there's three X structures, there's the you know the the Trinity, there's just three that are just literally everywhere. So I think it's just baked yeah. in both culturally, but I think cognitively that it's just easier to remember three or four. And then after that point, it starts to trail off. We just don't remember that anymore. Even in religion class in high school, I went to a Catholic school, we learned like biblical numerology and three had a meaning. I mean, there's a reason that it's 666 or 777. I mean, there are three is mysterious, three is, but it had a significance and you'd have threes a lot biblically in literature. Uh, and then we always try it. I, I, know, I know that I try to do the roll threes, but I don't know why it works. I was just curious. Yeah. So I, I say the science part, but then if you just go back, you know, thousands of years, it's just, it's just been part of who we are as humanity, I think. And, and that, that tapping into that, you know, just taps into that power of millennia or longer, you know, to be able to communicate information. So once we get, you know, some idea, we've, we've, we're, we're within the constraints of, okay, we've got a simple, compelling story to tell, which isn't easy. Now, how do we use the visual medium to help tell that story? Well, so then that, like with that box case, you know, so then it, it's with a theme. So then, you know, in that case I was beginning to describe, you know, you get to be like CSI detectives. That makes it relatable. I'm involved in this. Then we presented with the rest of that opening, you know, Mark said that, you know, we're going to show you a mountain of evidence that points to this pharmaceutical company that put out a drug that they knew could injure people, but they didn't kill people, but they didn't tell anybody. They hid that. Um, they're going to tell another side of the story, and it's up to you to find justice for Mrs. Ernst. And you can do that by following the three parts of this case. It's a case about a company that had motive, a company that had means, and how the motive and means come together. So that all of that is just so important because uh, you know the, verbally, the 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 verbiage actually is what the infrastructure for the visuals is. Uh-huh. You know, so again, if you can if you can find that pithy, that engaging thematic element, then the visuals are going to be easy to find on top of that. So the hardest part is actually to find that the verbal theme. And then, you know, so in that example, well, it was just finding the CSI logo that was so easy or, you know, the motive mean, you know, means uh, and money. Well, money was just a stack of bills, you know, so but it's almost like the, the images are very super or super, super simple. But it was really the sophistication of the structure and the metaphor, you know, or the theme that brought those two together. So the more that you could spend time on, on, on those words and on the theme, the easier the visuals will be and the more powerful they'll be. Because, I, you know, so one, one place to get those are in the, um, the, the place where we got the, the, uh, the CSI was from the, the juror questionnaires. Because, uh, you know, the, the Dr. Bob, who works with Mark, had, I think, asked the question, hey, what's your favorite TV show? So many people had put CSI, you know, which was super popular at the time and still is a classic show. And then as we're talking about themes that, you know, CSI just popped up. I think maybe Dr. Bob said it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, perfect. Put that on the slide. And then that slide was done. So, um, you know, it's all about that. It's about finding the simple metaphor. And here's another example. So I worked on a really complex a financial case, you know, that some of the most difficult ones to, to, you know, they're so abstract and so complex with financial instruments and so on. 
And the story in this case, um, you know, as we're distilling it down, was basically that this uh, the CEO of the company took all these distressed financial instruments and then put them. Let's actually have a if you have a blue bucket, <laughs> he put them in a bucket, and then he put a big discount on the bucket, so a big discount tag on top of that, and then he sold it to his friends at a steep discount so that so you know they they would save all that money and so with that you know i actually went out so once we got the bucket metaphor in place so just went out you know you can go on to google look for a blue bucket we got the picture and and then just created a very simple slide to show the bucket and then i had some you know like a piece of real estate or a deed and with some cash and then showed the money moving over to another bucket um and what was interesting about that case is that the jurors, you know, during deliberation were asking about the bucket. You know, so that that very, very simple metaphor actually became something that helped, you know, the, the attorney to win this case because something that was so complex, you know, and difficult to communicate, we were able to distill that down to the simplicity of that metaphor. And then with that metaphor to actually have a a real picture of a bucket, you know, and, and recently I did another version of that where the guy actually had a real bucket that he held, you know, in, in the courtroom. And so, you know, so I think it, it, it works like that, you know, so it's not a matter of just like going out and searching for, you know, random images to illustrate, but it's got to be that upfront distilling and, and finding the metaphor. And once you've got the metaphor, then how easy is it to find a picture of a blue bucket or to go buy this, you know, one I'm, I have here is $4 off of Amazon, right? Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, I want to throw that in as a side note, too, that, you know, with, with the images, it's so important, you know, we've got the images on the screen, but then also, and, you know, Mark is such a master of these, and, and people like Zoe Littlepage, at bringing in the courtroom toys or the physical, you know, the physical elements like a bucket or other ways that you're going to describe complex topics to actually have, in addition to the screen, you want to make it 3D, 4D, bring it into the courtroom. Yeah. And so people, you know, are putting their hands on it and they can see the scale. You know, you're really wanting to have the, the visuals on the screen be in a partnership with, with the physical mediums. And then you want to switch over to an Elmo sometimes and you want to sketch something, you want to have a board. You know, you're really creating an immersive, entertaining experience for the jurors. And that's a cool thing, you know, I, I'm just such a big fan of Zoe Littlepage in addition to Mark and, and you know, other, other plaintiff's attorneys. But one of the things that I remember that she said is that, you know, one of the jurors, um, you know, after a trial that she'd won said that, you know, you know what, Zoe, uh, every morning I looked forward to seeing what it is that you were going to do that day. Yeah. You know, so that that idea that you're just making this engaging and interesting and fun you know, it's, it's just so powerful and, 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 you know, makes it more interesting for you and for the jurors as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and I think you answered part of this, but I'd like to, you to expand a little bit more. So I've heard people say that you should be high tech and create this immersive experience. I've heard people say, no, 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 use boards. Boards are permanent and they, you know, high tech looks like a cartoon. I know people say, well, look for physical things that you can interactive and have sit around and leave on the council table or leave, you know, somewhere where they can see them the whole time. And you seem to be advocating for a mix. What is the thought behind that? Yeah, I'd say do, do, do both and then use the PowerPoint, use the images as the master narrative that ties it all together. So, for example, if you are using the theme about red flags, like the company uh, had a study that warned against adverse effects 
that you have on the slide, it would be a picture of a red flag, you know, next to the document. And then you actually have a red flag, you know, in person uh, on the table and you put the first red flag down. And then the next slide might be talking about the next document and the next evidence that they ignored and you do a second red flag. But then on your table, you've already got the first one and now you put a second one down until your table, you're filling up with 16 red flags. And so that, that serves, you know, the rhetorical and visual, the, those devices help to use the, the, the power of the screen itself to illustrate this and the focus on that red flag. But then now having this in person, that would be an example of it's, it's a persistent visual presence that now has more power. And then when you turn the PowerPoint off, it's still there. And that's a good example, like you mentioned the boards, you know, you can have things showing up on the screen, but then you're building something on the board and then on like a timeline, for example, you might build that and add stuff onto the timeline. Um, so, but the two are working in conjunction. So the beauty of the, of the screen and the power of the screen is to focus and to magnify um, uh, in any particular piece of information. And then these other mediums can be great ways to show the persistence or show, you know, keep it in focus for a longer period after you're done looking at any particular slide. And to all of our listeners, I mean, I know a lot of us listen to this while we're walking or jogging or driving in the car, and, and I appreciate that. But for this particular episode, I mean, Cliff just held up a red flag. And the first thing I wrote down is like, where can I buy a red flag? Uh, because <laughs> you're going to want to watch the uh, – you want to go to our YouTube page uh, and, and watch because he's held up a bucket, he's held up a flag. It's only been a few things, but it's inspiring. And I just want to tell you, Cliff, I mean, I just – I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm like, that is such a great idea. That's such a great idea. But I do encourage the listeners. Let's. Uh, this is one you might want to watch a little bit. Uh, and definitely you know, look in the show notes. We'll have links about where you can buy a red flag. I'm not going to say where to buy a blue bucket because I think anyone can figure that out. Uh, <laughs> right. but $4 the, the, on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. I would say Walmart. But <laughs> that's. Uh, so where, where, do you, where do you find the visuals? So, so, so once you've got the... Um, You've done that hard upfront work, you know, and again, I mentioned like when I work on these one day sessions, the first half day is just on the words. Then once we got that in place, then we start adding the visuals. So the, the big sources for visuals, number one is going to be stuff you already have. So that might be your documents. It could be PDFs, uh, zooms of those PDFs, any physical evidence that you might have. Uh, a big overlooked element is uh, screen captures, you know, so using... Google Maps to, if you're showing, if it's a, a car wreck case, you know, you want to get Google Earth, you zoom in to where it happened. You can actually in Google Earth will let you create a little video so that you zoom into the actual location. Um, one of the biggest, um, you know, if, if you've got dash cam video, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. If you can get that, I worked on it on a case recently a, a, on a trucking accident and we had, um, what was it, like 20 seconds, I think, of a dash cam video showing everything. And it was so cool because, I mean, I had a lot of fun with that one because, so the kickoff, like when, when they stood up, they just played the video. So let's say, let's say it's was it one, two, six seconds, 12 seconds. So it was a very short video. And then that was just, you know, because it shows the, you know, the, the one truck was just driving by and then the other one cut in front of him and then he, he like swerved out of the way and then he's screaming and then he crashed into the ditch. And so so the start of that was just to play that video and that's it. You know, they just stood up, played the video and you could hear the scream and all this in the video. And then and then what he said verbally then to set it up is like, you know, that looked like it happened so fast. But what we're going to do is actually do slow motion 
I'm going to tell you that how the, everything led up to this moment, you know, how everything led up to this crash. So then we went back and just did the first second of the video and said, here at this point, you know, you see that they're driving up here. Well, they shouldn't have even been here in the first place. They veered off the plan that was approved by the state and by the industry. You have to get pre-approval to veer off and they did not. They pulled over to the side on this road where there wasn't enough room. You know, that's because uh, earlier that day, the, the crew had gotten together and they decided, you know, let's just, you know, we're in a rush. Let's go the other way. And so, you know, we're, and, and then, you know, part two, then we got closer to where it happened. And then this one particular driver just decided just to pull out without even looking that there was another vehicle coming. So, so it was kind of cool because it was, it was taking this short video, but then it's almost like doing a frame by frame, you know, as you kind of like, you know, if you're ever working in video, you can kind of go slow yeah. through it. And using that as a convention to tell the story. So that's just a great example of just this, this uh, existing piece of uh, you know, dash cam video became a very powerful storytelling tool. And it was something that they already had. So that, that could be a big source, um, just whatever existing evidence you have. Screen captures, you know, a huge, huge overlooked part, uh, way of presenting information. Um, and then in addition to that, once you've got that, you know, probably 80% of the visuals, then there might be things that you, you you know do custom medical illustrations or 3D reconstruction you know of something that happened in a work site, and then beyond that, if you're just looking for stock photography, then there's these days the first place I would go is I would just go do a Google search you know and and an image search to just see what's out there. So let's just say your you know one case was uh, I think it was a diesel engine you know was the, was the topic, and so you just typed in the specific information about the diesel engine. And then you can just see what's out there. You could see what, you know, what are different ways that people are illustrating this particular topic. And then either, you know, get one that's a stock photo, if you're lucky, you know, you'll get some, a stock photo that these days you can license something for 10 or $20. Or if not, another, um, another tip in this area is just, just to take something that you find on Google. And then you know, if, if it's close to what you want, you know, I've done this before. It was like an engine and showing the way that the, you know, the liquids and so on flow and gases flow through it. It wasn't quite right, but then I just took what they had and then printed it out. Then I sketched on it what uh, we really wanted. Yeah. And then there's so many websites. There's one called Fiverr with two R's, Fiverr.com or Upwork. And then I just posted on there. I found some illustrator and I think it was maybe 10 or $15. They took that. They created an original illustration for $15 in a day. And then we use that in, in the case. So these days, I think that, you know, we're, you know, the, the price and the speed of getting these things done has just dropped dramatically. So I think something like that, where you at least get something close to what you want and then go to one of these sites and have somebody create it for you for, you know, very inexpensively. Yeah, I found that, you know, you could right click and just download an image off a of Google search. But a lot of times the resolution is not going to be what you want for right. a big screen. Yeah. But, the you know, all the stock photo sites are cheap. And like you said, I've also sometimes just, you know, we have an in-house graphic artist. But I mean, just, hey, take this and make make something with it. And they it's amazing how easily they can do it. Well, and another thing is just your phone, you know, just go, yeah. go, go on site. You know, if it's a car, go, go to the place and take your phone and take pictures of everything. Just go, you know, I, I, that that's another underutilized resource is just taking a picture of something. Even if it's a picture of something on, on your screen, you know, there, there, um, 
there are many ways you might be able to visualize something, but if you just think of your camera and think of a way that I might photograph something that illustrates that, then I think that that's, that's also a, a great way to go to find something that's going to work. I did a super low-tech, uh, just throwing this, telling more stories now, but I had a case where an 18-wheeler made an improper wide turn, and what I mean, like he parked the car in the right lane of the frontage road of a big freeway, the 18-wheeler got went and talked to the store, came back in, and he went to the left, went to the second lane, into the third lane, and then came back around to the right. And so the motorcycle that was coming to see an 18-wheeler going from being parked to the right to the second and third lane, thinks he was going, and then he turned in front of him, unfortunately, he got killed. And so I just had the reconstructionist help me print. We just printed the a photo of the scene. Yes. And then... We just printed to scale like a paper truck and a paper motorcycle. Oh, and wow. we just had him place oh. where his truck was at each point. And so I had I had him take it and I took a photo on my phone. I emailed myself and then I had like a $200 portable uh, color printer and I print it and is this what, you know, and marked them up. And so we had like a step by step storyboard of the crash, which looked ridiculous wow. for the defense uh, mm-hmm. that the driver endorsed because it's where he put the paper. And it was cheap. I mean, I think I spent, you know, probably less than five dollars on this whole thing. It probably two or three, uh, but it was really effective. Well, that is, yeah. I just want to point that out that just what you did was just so creative and out of the box and interesting, and you know, really that sort of thing just really works. And I think that that's an important thing that you know we might be in a frame or, or, or mind frame that I've got to you know get a. 3D generated, you know, reconstruction yeah. for 10,000, 15, 20,000 or more dollars. And then it's got to be super complex, but often it's it's the simplest solution, the $5 solution that will do the trick. And you can get it done quickly and it looks great and it's something that's memorable, you know, for the jurors. So don't, you know, especially these days, like I was mentioning, everything has uh, dropped in cost and is yeah. faster to do, but but also this like you're like you're just pointing out the simplest solution may work better yeah. than something that's more more polished yeah and on the other end the 3d printing has all kinds of uh really neat things we can do too when you want to create that object that toy to hold uh we've been able to do a lot of stuff with just taking a bunch of photos of something and there are people that use photogrammetry to create a 3d printed oh, oh. object. I have, I have not heard of that yet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had like a, uh, a roof crush case, product liability case. So we 3D okay. printed the, it's just hard to tell from photos exactly what happened with the roof and you have different angles and looks different. So we just scanned the vehicle and we did a, an undamaged vehicle 3D printed and then wow. our post crash and you hold the two next to each other and you can say, yeah, that, that roof really crashed. In fact, let me, since you've been yeah, showing toys. I was going to say, have you, have you like written about this anywhere or put it out on YouTube? I, or uh, I'm not putting, let me see, I got to hold this up higher. So oh this is God, an undamaged roof and this is the damaged one that's pushed in a lot more. Uh, and you okay. see here, like if you were sitting here, you don't have any space to live, unfortunately, you know, it yeah. comes all the way down. And this was probably eight years ago. They, they do much better. They can do multiple colors and better resolution and stuff nowadays. It's crazy. Now, and, and that's right for some cases, but the, you know, my partner and I were getting we're getting ready for a trial, and one of the things we were talking about this morning is how do we show this? And yes. and, and that one, you know, two toy vehicles, and then you know a magnetic board with kind of block vehicles is going to make the most sense as opposed to spending a bunch of money on animation because you know animations are really really hard to prove millisecond by millisecond exactly where two people were. 
or yes. two vehicles were. But you can explain the concept, which is what really matters, and not get drugged down in irrelevant details sometimes yes. with, you know, step-by-step photos or, or drawings or just two toys. Absolutely. Yeah. That just And it's just, just being able to hold it up and people can just so relate to that and see yeah. it for themselves. You know, that that's so powerful. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the creative aspect of it's one of the reasons I love what we do. Well, I would say that, too, that I would advocate that as a big thing to introduce it. If you haven't thought about that in your own firms, just generally to, to think about how it is you can foster creativity in your firm. You know, this is been something in, in the business world for a while now where they talk about something's called design thinking. Um, and then there's a, a, a company called IDEO, IDEO, that does product design, but it's kind uh-huh. of known for creating these uh, workspaces. You might have seen pictures like you look, you see an office and they're just toys and beanbags everywhere that, you know, it's just a, a, a colorful, playful space. And I would, I would uh, say that, that if, you know, as, as you're wanting to introduce creativity, out of the box thinking, doing, doing really cool things like you do, um, you know, think about a place in your firm. If you've got an office, you're going back to your office that there might be a room that you could, could designate. This is your creative playpen, you know, this area where you could keep those toys, you know, other, other you keep all the red flags, you keep the bucket. Like you, when you go yeah. into this room, this is your place to, to blow your mind and do some really cool and interesting things. Um, that that to really consider the, the the value of doing that, you know, because like we're talking about the simple blue bucket or what you're doing is just so powerful and so valuable. I think it's really worth creating a space where that can happen. Absolutely. Also, my next question is, how do we? I think so much as lawyers, we're scared, and so instead of being creative, we find out what did someone to do in their last case, or someone to want a big case, I have to do what they did, and yeah. that might you know like. Like Mark's incredibly masterful Viox opening might not work on my trucking case because it's mm-hmm. a different story, you know. And so, you know, what can we do to kind of get out? I mean, you gave the creative space. Any other ideas to get into that creative mindset to get out of let's do what other people have done before and into let's find the best solution for this case? Well, I, I mean, I love that. Just you're describing, you know, it can, be, it can be scary. or And I would say that the framing for this would be about fun and about you know, creativity. How is it? And as describing Zoe and with Mark, I mean, that these folks are just having a blast doing this stuff. You know, I saw uh, Mark's Johnson & Johnson opening and it was just like he was just having a blast. He's describing all these, uh, you know, these tests and saying it's like, you know, this concentration test. It's like orange juice. It's concentrated. You know, it's just like really playful and fun and creative. And I think as you might be able to frame it and say, I want the jurors to have fun and I'm going to have fun helping them to have fun. And so, so I think that may, maybe I would suggest trying out having a, you know, having a room, having a, a place where you've got, you know, the, this, you know, Google design thinking or IDEO or, you know, and, and see how many companies are now creating these spaces that, that, create more of a, a right brain or more of a creative fun environment. So they're designed to take you out of your, you know, sitting at the desk in front of your laptop and dealing with the books and the text and into more of a visceral experience where you're holding things up like the flag and you're feeling the flag. And I think that's so important because, you know, we're, we're, we're so far removed often, you know, when you're presenting the case, it's, it could be years removed from when it happened and you're really wanting, you don't want to miss out on, on having the visceral 
part of communication. You know, like you're showing with those cars, you can like, you're holding it up and you can feel it and you're wanting to really get the full range of experiences to really have that, you know, have that imprint on the jurors and the folks you're talking to. But, but just to back up, I, I would say though, like all of these things, you know, you really have to be open. You know, there's got to be a place where you, where you feel relaxed and you don't feel the fear or, you know, there's not the, you know, I'm scared, but rather this is fun and comfortable and engaging. And the cool thing though about, about, you know, the plaintiff's bar and, and working with you all is that just how, how willing you all are to share all these cool things with each other. Yeah. Know, to, it's a great really community give this stuff out to each other. So that's another thing too, just that, you know, we're not alone in this, that, you know, what, what that, what I just learned from you, that was super cool. I'm going to tell other people about that. But then Zoe, you know, what she does with, she created it uh, for this case with, um, it had to do with um, some sort of gas seeping into a house and injuring some of the folks there. And she had a doll maker create a model of the house for like $200. And yeah. she actually held that up. So she had fun in that way. Or like Mark, you know, bringing in, all of all of the tools that he brings in that that you know that that's another way is just to to look for and see and learn from the examples of other folks who are doing really cool things like that. Yeah, I think the, the important things is you know learn what you can from them and and like I'm going to go spend three days at Mark Lanier's Trial Academy next week because he's a badass and he's incredible and I want to learn from him. Uh, yes. But I, I can't use the exact same images he used for one trial and another trial necessarily. And maybe I can, maybe I can't. You have to go see, you can't just copy. And I can't go there and, Im and imitate Mark Lanier. I can't go pretend to be Mark Lanier. I have to be me. That's exactly a wonderful point that this has got to come from your own natural, the, your, your talents, your skills, we're all different. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it's got to come from where, where we are. Otherwise it's going to be inauthentic and jurors aren't going to believe it. Yeah. Right? You've, got to, you've got to do something that comes from you. Uh, but but that's not to say that we can't stretch ourselves, you know. So like, oh, you know, if I'm, and me as a presenter too, you know, I you know I've gone out and, and gotten more toys and done more interesting things and tried things that are pushing my boundaries, like you know these Zoom calls and talking just to a camera. This is all weird for me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's all about pushing your edge and and learning new things and, and, and having fun with it. Enjoying the episode? Do you wish you had Trial Lawyer Nation on the go? Well, wish no more. The Trial Lawyer Nation app is available now exclusively on iOS devices. Access our entire podcast library, create a favorites list, search for old and new episodes, and much more. It truly is Trial Lawyer Nation at your fingertips. Download this free app now and enjoy the top legal podcast for plaintiff attorneys wherever you go. You did bring up a good topic I want to talk about a little bit of, which is Zoom. So in some places, they've been doing some Zoom trials. I'm, I'm personally hoping, I was all excited about it at first. I'm personally hoping that we go back to in-person because I think we, when I've seen the results of some of the Zoom trials, I think we are losing something from not being in-person. But we're going to have some, and we're definitely going to have Zoom hearings, Zoom depositions, which are then going to be played at trial. How can we use these tools to tell a story over the Zoom? Well, I think some of the, I would say that the, the leading edge takeaways in this whole department are, are to, you can do little things that are going to get you an edge over the other side. So simple things like improving the quality of your camera. So moving, you know, instead of the webcam you have built in, then get a nicer webcam. Or instead of the built-in microphone, get another microphone. 
um, you know, using, you know, and then there's Zoom, but like with right now with Zoom, you know, I'm using a really good camera and a microphone. And then, you know, this is coming in through a software called Ecamm Live that is allowing me, I could actually put in video clips, I could put things over the screen, I could have text, you know, so it, it's, um, you know, at, at a minimum, I think it's about upgrading the camera and the lighting and the microphone at a, at a bare minimum. And then as you might be exploring more, there are folks who are using more software tools like um, ManyCam, a lot of tools out there that are that are helping to take things to the next level. You know, so I mentioned Zoe Littlepage. She's, she just did a webinar for trial guides about many of the tools that you can use, having the background, using green screen, all of these tools, you know, can, can be really helpful to, to improve the clarity uh, of the communication over these tools. And I think that that's the, the, the most important thing is looking at how, how it is, you know, you can gain an edge. Now this is new for everybody, you know, for both sides. And I think that as, as we might be able to embrace some of the, the cool things that folks are doing that are working, that, that you know, you can have a, an early advantage, you know, the early first mover advantage to, you know, if you look crisp and clear, you know, it really enhances your visual credibility. I've talked about this. It's more like a, you know, looking all fuzzy and out of focus and maybe having a messy background is like wearing, you know, a bad suit, you know, that, that this is what, what's showing up in the screen is is part of ethos that Aristotle talked about, your visual credibility, you know. So and if everybody else is doing the same thing and you look crisp and clear and and the sound is great, you're gonna be miles ahead of the other side. So I think, you know, at a minimum upgrading the equipment you have and then as you're you've got that, then to start using some of these new tools that are out here that take things to the next level. It, it, again, it's all new to all of us, so me included. So, like to me, it's just been the weirdest thing in this last year to talk to a camera. So right now, I'm talking to this camera, and it's just so yeah weird to do that. You know, especially if you're a lawyer, you're, you're used to going and talking to jurors or talking, you know, looking in people's faces. So even that, you know, is a skill to learn. How do I feel more comfortable imagining? You know, there's somebody I'm talking to, and I'm just talking directly to this little machine in front of me and, and making yeah. that feel like I'm authentic. How do you do that? And then, and then, you know, and, you know, we talked, we've talked a little bit about the, you know, the technicalities of even doing a podcast, but then when you start going into this realm and using zoom and using some of these other tools, it's almost like you're a, a TV producer, you know, what used, to be, what used to be that you would have a whole staff of people and it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, now you are, uh, the, 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 the downside is like you're having to do a lot of the things that they did, but the upside is that the tools are easier to use and, and cheaper to use. And you can do some powerfully, you know, amazing things, uh, quickly and easily that would have cost all that before. And now you can actually do a lot of it yourself, but it's all about that learning curve. Uh, you know, the technology can be overwhelming. It could be difficult, you know, when you run into technical problems. I know this too. It's like, oh, my microphone's not working. I don't know why it's not, you know, I'm about to do a call, you know, so, so it just creates, it does add on stress, but at the same time, as you might be able to master it, you know, I know for me, I just feel a lot more comfortable and engaging and can reach more people because I now have the ability to use some of these tools um, just as a basic operating level. And it's the future. I mean, the, the fact is, well, I think trials are going to go back to in-person. A lot of the depositions that end up being played at trial are going to be done virtually because it doesn't make sense. You don't get that much better for flying around the country to take these 
depositions than you do to post. Most of us are not so physically imposing that our mere presence gets someone to change the way they answer a question. Right. And and as far as the presentation, through share screen, through some of the tools, even even just share screen, but also through some of the tools that you mentioned, we actually have more power, more tools at our disposal to tell a visual story in the video if we use yeah. Zoom than if we're sitting in there with a videographer. Because yes. at best with a videographer, you get like them with a split. You get someone that has like a split thing now. Now split to this, now split to that. And you're having to tell him what to do, and he doesn't always figure it out because you're yeah. halfway around the country, and you just met the person the morning before, and half the time they don't bring the right equipment or it doesn't work right, and just. So I think with these new tools, a lot of that you're able to. You, you know, the future is you will be able to do a lot of that yourself. So it's just yeah. like with PowerPoint; it was hard to learn at first, and now a lot of folks are you know more comfortable with it, and even with this medium. So with the screen that I'm in right now, you know, with the tool I'm using called Ecamm, I can have another person, I could do a split screen where I'm on one half and they're on the other half. So you could interview, you know, you could uh, do a definition that way. But then also you could uh, switch over and then I could have the IPVO on half of the screen. Yeah, which is uh, fun. You know, yeah, that's fun. And then you could also, you know, instead of just, I mean, I, I guess to your point, it actually could be more interesting, you know, if with yeah. these new tools you can have now, you know, have, you could be writing on a tablet while they're talking, you know, and then, then so the jurors are not just seeing, a, you know, a face, but now they're seeing a face plus your handwriting, what they're saying, you know, as they, they agree with what you're saying on that screen. So I think that, you know, I think it, obviously it's still early days. I think obviously the, um, the pandemic has forced us to, to, to really be in this new world a lot, you know, 10 years earlier than we would have been. But I think that on the upside, you know, we're, we're all still learning all this stuff, but I think that some really cool and engaging things will come out of it. Like you said, do you really need to fly all this way or can you do it, you know, virtually and then take that virtual format and then do something more interesting that you weren't even able to do in person before? That, that software is ECAM, E-C-A-M? Yeah, so E-C, and we can put that in the link too, E-C-A-M-M. That's probably the most sophisticated tool that allows you to do, like with the screen I'm in, I could do the split screen, I could put a video feed, I could do text on the screen. Uh, some folks are using something called Minicam, uh, which is you know the next level down from this tool. And then there's another one that's called, um, it's called Mhm, M-M-H-M-M. It's a brand new tool where with the green screen behind you, you can have documents, you can be like, a, it can look like you're on Saturday Night Live with a little, little image behind you or have videos behind you. And that's a, a, a very easy to use and inexpensive tool. So, so you know, again, I think we're, we're in the new frontier of all this happening and there's lots of new tools out there, but I think we're, we're on the, you know, the beginning path of doing some really powerful and cool things that are, I think, well, you know, just like PowerPoint changed, has changed the way presentations happen in the courtroom. I think these tools will now be integrated every step of the way. Um, you know, because, you know, one other point is I did uh, work recently with a client in uh, California and he um, was going to mediation and he said that he, you know, had been frustrated because he would always send a write-up of the case, you know, and used to do write-ups and then he would spend all this time and money on PowerPoints and send those, but nobody would read them. And so what he, uh, what he decided to do was to create a video uh, that he would send before that lays out the case, so a mini version of an opening, you know, so in about a, I think, 10, 15 minute video. And he was actually able to do most of it himself, you know, so he brought me in to, and we worked together on the story structure, but then he created a video and then just sent a link to the video. So all they had to do is just click it and watch it in advance. 
So, so those are just innovations I think that we're starting to see that there, there will be some really interesting and powerful things like that, that that kind of come out of all this change that's happening right now. Oh, that is so awesome. So you do some work with lawyers. What kind of work do you do with lawyers? And if we want to work with you, what are the options? Well, the main one has been to, to bring me in for a day. And then, like as I mentioned, I, I fly in, work with the team. We do the first half of the story, story structure, theming laying out the, the sequence of ideas and in the afternoon then we plug in all the documents and, and you're about 90% done with the opening by the end of that day with a PowerPoint or all these media elements. Uh, and another thing that I'm, I'm developing now is actually some uh, an online training course. So I've got a, something called a visual storyteller school for lawyers and that's teaching you all how to do this stuff yourself. And that's the, one of the coolest things I think for me is that when I first started working with Mark in 2005, he was already... A PowerPoint ninja, you know, he already had such high technical skill, but it's so cool. You know, a lot of folks at the time, you know, didn't have that knowledge, but now, you know, some of the folks who are most resistant to doing that or didn't want to do that are now actually building their own PowerPoints and doing some really powerful and cool things. And so what, what I'm aiming to do with that online training is just to continue to help you learn these core skills with visual storytelling, with the structure and sequence of story, finding these visuals, now using Zoom, uh, doing those little mini video, uh, mediation videos that, that you know, I think the great power is that when you guys learn how to do this yourselves, because just like that last client I mentioned, like he was just so like, and, and you made a reference to it too, you're not dependent on a videographer to come in and do this, or to, like you said, bringing the wrong equipment. You can actually do super powerful stuff yourself and when you do that you are you you've got just the freedom the you could do things quickly you could do things that cost you know in, in shorter amount of time with less money with a greater effect so i think that that is really a, a trend that's happening as well is that as you know you learn to do these things you're actually freer more nimble have more strategic advantage because you actually can do it yourself and I know we'll have this in the show notes, but for the people listening, if someone wants to get a hold of you to find you to, to see if you know you're the right fit to work with them on a case or to learn more, how how do people find you? Uh, just go to my website. It's my name, uh, www.cliffatkinson.com. So you just go to that page. There's a, a link at the top that just says lawyers. And if you want more information about that training stuff, then you can just go into that link. But otherwise, just go to that website. My contact information is there. There's a sign up. If you just want to keep updated on stuff that's coming up. Awesome. Well, I'm, I am definitely inspired. Uh, I'm hoping to get to work with you in the near future. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing what, some of what you know. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And, and it's been such a pleasure and so glad to be able to, to you know, reach the folks who are your listeners and look forward to working with you guys as well. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, Send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. 
Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.